This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Legend of the Bones. Following in the footsteps of giants, Legend of the Bones is a chimera. A mix of old school tabletop RPG and dark fantasy storytelling. As its name might suggest, in Legend of the Bones the dice rule. There'll be no rerolls, no fudging the dice, no metacurrency. The roll of the bones will determine the character's destiny and no one will be spared their fate. None shall escape the destiny of bone. Last time on Legend of the Bones. Kier discovered from the townsfolk of Halstone that the Brethren of the Purifying Light have been specifically seeking Valen's master, Amos Aphowan, and that the local priest, Father Kaelnoth, had been assisting them. In a flashback, we learnt that it was Father Kaelnoth who summoned the Brethren to Halstone in search of Amos Aphowan, and that the priest was himself a member of the fanatical group. Lena questioned Kaelnoth under the pretense of being a pilgrim and gained the priest's confidence, who subsequently revealed his true allegiance. The party reported their findings to the Reeve, Brannock, who commissioned them into his service and issued a warrant for Kelnoth's arrest. When the party arrived to apprehend the priest, he fled, instigating a chase through the streets of Halstone until Beric caught Kelnoth, bringing him to heel. Chapter 7, Part 1, Day 13, Afternoon Party Status Beric, 9 out of 9 hit points Lena, 6 out of 6 hit points Kia, 3 out of 4 hit points Valen, 4 out of 4 hit points Spells available, Valen has memorised Push The sound of his men sparring filtered into the hall from the courtyard outside, distracting his thoughts. Politics. How he hated it. He preferred to see his enemies in front of him, to see the whites of their eyes. Bannock envied his men. Sometimes he missed the simplicity of being an ordinary soldier. Obeying orders, fighting, doing as you were told, all that was a distant memory. Command, he mused was a burden, a thankless task. He looked at the bedraggled figure in front of him, robes covered in filth, eyes downcast. Pitiful, he thought. Should he pity him? Should he be merciful? No. After all, the priest had shown no mercy to poor Magret. The old woman had suffered unspeakable torment in the flames of the pyre. Where was the priest's pity then? It mattered not. This was a question of politics, not pity. Bannock's eyes narrowed as he considered his next move. He knew he had been rash ordering Kelnoth's arrest. That was unlike him. But he knew he had his lord's confidence. At worst, he would be forced to release the priest. And if that happened, well, Halstone's streets could be dangerous, 
particularly at night. An unarmed man might well find himself in the river with his throat cut. Politics. My lord? A voice brought him out of his reflection. My lord? The mage spoke again. This man had a hand in my master's murder. I ask for justice. I... Brannock held a hand up to silence the mage. I hear you, Master Valen, but the king had issued a writ absolving the killing of witches. The reeve replied. But there is more than one way to skin a cat, he thought. But my lord, the midwife, Margaret. Enough. Brannock held his hand up again and the mage fell silent. Father Kaelnoth. The priest looked up. You confess to being a member of the brethren? It wasn't really a question, more an accusation. You'll pay for this, Brannock. You have no idea who- You bore me, Brannock interrupted. He looked to the guard holding Kelnos' arm. Take him to a cell and see that he is not mistreated. The guard nodded and pulled the protesting priest out of the hall. Once the door was shut, Brannock addressed the four companions. Fear not. One way or another, Kelnoth will pay for his part in Amos and Maigrid's deaths. But in politics, it's wise to be subtle. Brannock explained. Then I must bow to your wisdom, my lord. Valen replied. Now, I must go Easter to Venet and consult with my lord Carmen on this matter. In the meantime, I want you to go south to Four Rivers. I have received reports of men going missing in the mines, but I cannot spare any of the garrison. I want you to find out what's going on and put a stop to it. I will pay well. What say you? The companions looked at each other. For my part, I do not wish to tarry. We should follow the man who killed my master. Valen stated. We all want justice, Valen, and we will help you. But we need more coin than we possess to achieve that end. Beric suggested. Beric is right, Valen. Lena added. Now that I have seen what the brethren are capable of, I cannot stand by while they murder more innocents. But let us do this task for my Lord Brannock first. Valen looked at his companions and sighed. Very well. I can see the wisdom of your words. Good. On the morrow, go to the stables. There you will meet a man named Jago, a carter. He is due to take supplies to Four Rivers. Accompany him on the journey, but be wary. The hardwood harbors brigands, and worse. Before the party set off for the mining town of Four Rivers, I think it made sense that they would spend some of their coin on supplies. I do not think that role-playing this would make very compelling listening, so instead I'm just going to describe what they buy. For the remainder of the afternoon, they visit various traders in the market and in shops and buy the following. Four new backpacks to replace the smaller knapsacks provided by Valen. Four bedrolls. Two lanterns. Five flasks of lamp oil. A week's worth of iron rations for each of them. A tinderbox. 50 foot of rope. 12 iron spikes a small hammer, and a set of lockpicking tools for Kier. All of this comes to a total of 148 silver, leaving the party with 10 gold and 46 silver. This adventuring business sure is expensive, but at least now the party is properly equipped. Over the coming days, the party will be travelling by road from Halstone to Four Rivers, a journey of around 50 miles. 
Travelling by road is not the most direct route, but certainly the quickest and safest. The basic expert rules state that wagons can travel 12 miles per day, so the journey will take 4 days if unhindered. I am going to rule that sufficient provisions are provided for the journey, so I will not make foraging rules, and all being well the party will not need to use their iron rations. In addition, providing the party sticks to the road, then I will not make any rules for losing direction. Ok, so here are the rolls for day 14. Weather A 10. Temperate and wet. Stumble upon A 12. Nothing there. Wandering encounters A 1. An encounter is indicated. Let's see if the encounter happens during the day or the night. A low roll on a d20 will indicate the day. A 7. My wandering encounter table for woodlands and forests is based on a roll of 3d6. You can find the table at legendofthebones.blogspot.com. Here is the roll. A 6. Ok, let's see what happens. Chapter 7 Part 2 Day 14 Morning. Party status. Beric, 9 out of 9 hit points. Lena, 6 out of 6 hit points. Kia, 4 out of 4 hit points. Valen, 4 out of 4 hit points. Spells available. Valen has memorized Push. The weather had turned as the wagon passed through the gates and followed the road southeast, leaving Halstone behind. What started as a light rain shower soon became more persistent and the companions drew their cloaks about them in a somewhat futile attempt to stay dry. As instructed, the companions had met the carter at the stables before setting off. Jago was a good looking man in his early twenties. He had a mop of curly dark hair and brown eyes and his face seemed to have a perpetual expression of mirth. Kier had elected to sit up with Jago, the pair having immediately taken a liking to each other and the two men now sparred with playful banter. The rest of the companions sat up upon the large wagon, in between the various sacks and crates containing supplies for the community at Four Rivers. They sat in silence, more concerned with being wet through than making conversation. The wagon was pulled by a pair of heavy draught horses. The docile animals plodded lazily, occasionally flicking their tails as their rain-soaked backs steamed. Jago showed no inclination to hurry them along and the man seemed impervious to the rain as the wagon rumbled through large puddles which had quickly accumulated in the uneven dirt. The road from Halston quickly became surrounded by dense forest on either side of the road and that combined with the heavy rain clouds made the morning almost as dark as twilight. The gloom was oppressive and ominous and while none spoke of it, each of the companions remembered Brannock's words and kept their weapons readied and their wits sharp. After a couple of hours, the rain subsided, providing some respite, though the heavy clouds continued to linger threateningly. Whilst the day was not cold, now the soaked companions could not help but shiver. So when Jago produced a flask of brandy and offered it around, the companions were grateful of its warming effect. Kier retrieved his bowstring, which he had stored in his belt pouch to keep it from the rain, and restrung his bow. The rogue tested the bow's draw a couple of times, and at that moment, there was the sound of something moving through the undergrowth to the left. Suddenly, a deer sprang out of the bushes onto the road. It did not stop, 
It veered around the wagon and bounded into the forest opposite. There was more thrashing to the left and it was clear that something was in pursuit of the deer. The party readied themselves as a huge figure some seven feet tall emerged from the trees. Its greenish brown skin was covered in thick black hair. It was difficult to tell the difference between that and the matted and filthy furs that it wore. Its face was goblinoid in appearance, ugly and cruel. In its right hand it carried a rusty battle axe, the blade of which was caked with old blood. The creature stopped for a moment, stared at the companions with beady yellow eyes. A look of pure malevolence crossed its grotesque face. It grinned evilly, its lips peeling back over jagged yellow teeth. Entering combat. The party have encountered a bugbear, a classic Dungeons and Dragons monster. The basic expert rules describe the creature as a large hairy goblin. They are three hit dice plus one creatures, with an ascending arm class of 14. Bugbears get plus three to their attack rolls and plus one to their damage rolls. I have armed the bugbear with a rusty battle axe, which means that any successful attack will deal two to nine points of damage. Once again, there is significant risk that one or more of our characters might perish. Let's hope the dice gods are on their side. First up, let's roll the bugbear's hit points on 3d6. A 12, plus one, that's 13 hit points. I'm not going to make a reaction roll for this creature. Bugbears hate humans, and besides, given his past, Beric will not wish to let this creature live. Okay, now let's roll for surprise. I am going to rule that the bugbear is not surprised. These creatures like to ambush their prey. Also, the basic expert rules state that the chance of being surprised by a bugbear is 3 in 6, rather than the usual 2 in 6. Let's see if the party are surprised. A 5. The bugbear's thrashing in the undergrowth gave the party ample warning. Round 1. Initiative. The bugbear. A 5. The party. A 2. The bugbear will strike first. I am going to randomly roll the target for the bugbear's attack on a d6. On a 1, Beric. A 2, Lena. On a 3, Kia. 4, Valen. On a 5, Jago. And if I roll a 6, I will roll the dice again. Let's see. A 3, the bugbear will attack Kia. With its attack bonus, the bugbear only needs to roll a 10 or more to hit the rogue. Here it is. A five. The bugbear swings its huge axe, but misjudges the blow with the moving wagon. Instead, the blade chops into the wagon side, sending splinters flying. Now the party's turn. As Jago tries to control the panicked horses, Keir draws his bow and shoots. His dexterity bonus gives him a plus one to ranged attacks, and the short range will confer a further plus one. However, as the wagon is moving, I am going to remove these bonuses. That means that Kier needs a 14 or more to hit. A 16, four, two points of damage. Kier's arrow rakes past the bugbear's hairy neck, opening a vicious cut. Valen will attempt to cast his spell, Push. As a reminder, in Legend of the Bones, magic users must pass a successful intelligence check to cast a spell. Valen's intelligence is 15. Here is his casting roll. A 20. Oh no, that is a miscast. This could get very bad for Valen. 
Now to roll on my custom miscast table, which you can find at legendofthebones.blogspot.com. A one. Fortunately for our mage, that is the least worst result. The spell effect is halved. Ordinarily, the spell pushes the target back 1d8 yards. Therefore, this is reduced to 1d4. The bugbear is pushed back just 2 yards, with no chance of impacting a hard object. The spell push also has a 3 in 6 chance of knocking the target prone. Due to the miscast, this will be halved and rounded down to a 1 in 6 chance. A 2. The bugbear stays on its feet as Valen's spell weakly shoves it back. Leda swings her hammer at the creature. She needs a 14 or more. A 1. A critical failure. The novitiate stumbles and falls as the wagon jerks forward. Lena will miss her next turn as she picks herself up. Beric, unable to control his hatred for the creature, jumps down from the wagon and charges forward. He needs a 12 or more. A 15 for... 8 points of damage! Plus his strength bonus, that is 10 points of damage. Beric savagely slashes the bugbear across the waist. The creature howls in pain, clutching the wound to keep its entrails from spilling out. Wow, Beric's recent dice rolls are making him a formidable fighter. The bugbear has just one hit point remaining, but the party are not out of danger yet. Round 2. Initiative. The bugbear. A 5. The party. A 4. With the bugbear badly wounded, I will now make a check against its morale of 9. Here is the roll on 2d6. A 5. The creature will stand and fight. This round it will attack Beric. It will need a 12 or more to hit the fighter. A 5. The bugbear has been weakened by its wound and Beric easily blocks the attack with his shield. Kier knocks another arrow and shoots. He needs a 14 or more to hit. A 17. No need to roll damage. The rogue's arrow strikes the bugbear in the neck, rupturing its jugular vein. Foul-smelling blood sprays from the wound, splattering Beric. The creature instinctively puts its hand up to its neck, and in doing so, its entrails slip out of the wound to its stomach. It makes a strange mewing sound before dropping to the floor. Well, like previous combats, that certainly did not go how I expected it. The party were incredibly lucky. With the power of this creature, I thought that there would be some serious injury and maybe even a character death. But it would seem that the Dice Gods have other plans for our adventurers. At least for now. Despite the overpowering stench, Beric searches the body of the bugbear and finds a pouch with 40 silver shillings, which he adds to his own, but there is nothing else of value. Okay, so let's see what happens in day 15. Weather roll. A 17. The rain clouds move west overnight, leaving a bright, warm spring day. Stumble upon. A 2. Nothing there. Wandering encounter. A 1. Another encounter is indicated. It would seem that Brannock was right to warn the party about the Heartwood. Let's see whether the encounter happens during the day or the night. A low roll on a d20 will indicate the day. A 3. Okay, so here is the roll on the wandering encounter table. A 13. Hmm. The result indicates that there will be one to four of these creatures, so let's roll to see how many. Two. Right. Let's see what happens.
Chapter 7 Part 3 Day 15 Late Morning Party Status Beric, 9 out of 9 hit points Lena, 6 out of 6 hit points Kia, 4 out of 4 hit points Valen, 4 out of 4 hit points Spells available Valen has memorized PUSH Typically for the season, the inclement weather of the previous day had moved on overnight, leaving a bright, cloudless sky. The sun dappled through the leaves of oak, ash and elm, which rustled gently in the breeze. All around the air was filled with birdsong, whilst insects flitted among the foxgloves and nettles which lined the road. To the companions, the heartwood seemed like a completely different place, less ominous, less threatening. They had made camp the night before at the roadside lighting a small fire and hanging a waxed canvas from the wagon as a makeshift awning. Given the danger of the previous day, the companions had sat watches in pairs, and consequently they all now found themselves unable to stifle yawns. After breaking their fast, they continued along the road, the wagon trundling in and out of puddles which were stubbornly refusing to dry out. It was slow going, but Jago told them that by nightfall they should reach a crossroads marking the edge of the forest. Valen sat with his nose in his spellbook. Since leaving Halstone, he had begun to feel close to unlocking something in his mind. It was near. He could feel it. Yet for now it remained elusive. His mind wandered. He thought of Amos. His master had taken him in after he had fled Hlanris. Valen had sought out the mage after that fateful night when he had killed Mertrun. He had confessed his crime, yet Amos never judged him. Instead, the old man had helped the young mage, taught him how to control his emotions, and helped him to unlock his power. Let it flow through you. Do not dam it like a river. Become one with it. Shape it. Move it. But never seek to stop it. Valen? Valen? Lena's voice brought him out of his reverie. Hmm? Valen responded. Won't you tell us something about your home? About Hlanris? The novitiate asked. Ah, yes. Valen collected his thoughts. My homeland is an island, far away in the great western ocean. It is a place of bleak mountains, deep valleys and ancient woodlands. It is a land clad in the breath of the dragon, whose very being can be found in all things. It is a wilderness of such beauty that it would take your breath away. A savage beauty, mind. Raw and unforgiving. The dragon? Lena asked quizzically. The mage smiled. It is a metaphor. In the legends of my people, the dragon both formed and is the natural world around us. It is said that in ages past, the island was flat. Then the great worm, Idranis, lay to sleep upon it, and over the millennia that followed she would cover with dust and soil to form the land of Hlanris. We say that you can see her everywhere, in the mountains that are her spine, her claws and teeth in the rocks that jut from the earth, and her scales in the bark of trees. Valen paused for a moment. Fascinating, Lena said. I have also read that your people do not worship the Nine. Is that correct? That is right. 
The Wailer revere the natural world and the spirits that haunt those wild places. A stream, a forest glade, an exceptional beast. But most of all, we revere our ancestors. We believe it is they who watch over us. For the Wailer, the natural world is the path to the divine, and mages are the guides. Phelan smiled, though his face was melancholic. I can see that this is not too far removed from the goddess Erda. Hers is the sphere of fertility and nature. Perhaps they are one and the same, Lena suggested. Perhaps. Missionaries have indeed come to Clan Rhys to spread the word of the Nine. They similarly argue that the Whaler already worship the Nine, but simply by different names. I myself am not so sure. Whalen belief is more personal, less rigid and organized. We have no temples, as you would know them. But what I do know is that when men try to shape and change the beliefs of people, it sows the seeds of division, and division leads quickly to intolerance, and then to hatred. Phelan looked at Lena. My master, my friend, was murdered because of what he was, and because what he was did not fit with the rigid views of men who would have the world believe as they do, because they fear what they cannot control. I'm, I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to... Lena struggled to find the words, and seeing her discomfort, Valen spoke once more. Do not apologize. I know you meant no offense, and I have taken none. You are a good woman, Lena, and I respect your beliefs, even though they are not my own. Thank you, Valen, and I respect you also. The novitiate smiled. The road had narrowed somewhat, as two great elms, one on either side of the road, reached over to touch each other, blocking the light and forming an arboreal archway. The wagon lurched, there was a sudden jolt, and the wagon came to a stop as one of the wheels fell into a large pothole which had been concealed by a puddle. Damn it! Jago exclaimed. The carter jumped down from his seat to take a look. There's no damage from the look of it, but I'll need you all to get off and push. The carter declared. The companions complied, and they moved to the rear of the wagon as Jago retook his seat. The carter checked the companions were in place before turning back to the horses. Right then. Push! Jago flicked the reins, and the horses took the strain whilst the companions pushed. A bit more! The wagon rocked, and slowly the wheel lifted out of the hole. The wagon ran on for a few yards before Jago brought it to a halt. As the companions walked back to the wagon, Jago alighted once more to check the wheel now it was free of the hole. The hairs on the back of Beric's neck suddenly prickled, and the big man had an urge to look up. He instinctively lifted his head and saw two black and bloated forms descending upon them from above. Thank you for listening to Legend of the Bones. If you like what you've heard, then please consider giving it a five-star review in your podcatcher of choice. Every review helps the show reach new listeners. I would like to thank this episode's voice talent. The character of Jago was voiced by Robin Sampson. Thank you, Robin. Your voice has really added to the show. You can help by liking or retweeting new episode announcements. You can contact me on Twitter at Legend Bones. 
Instagram at legendofthebones, email at legendofthebones at gmail.com, or go to legendofthebones.blogspot.com for show notes, character profiles, maps, and more. Join me next time to find out what awaits our adventurers as the bones decide their fate. None shall escape the destiny of bone.